very much. Please be seated. Yvonne, why don't you just come up and say hello and give a greeting and can we just borrow that, that microphone? Come on, Bonnie. My wife of 36 years. Here you go. Thank you. Actually, it's a privilege to be here and I came once for a beautiful women's thing. It was fantastic. And I just want to say how blessed we are to be here. And, um, you know, because it's on Teams tonight, I've been really thinking a lot about Teams lately and how often we work in the eye. Like, I can do it, I'll get it done, I... But actually, team is always about we. And, um, and so I've been really thinking a lot about how if we're all in our strengths, when we work in the I, we're actually... We're robbing people from doing things when we work in the I. But when we work in the we, our strengths and what we bring to the church, if we can find out... I know I'm really good at this. I know this. I'm good at this. I'm really good at that. And if other people know that that's what I'm good at, then they don't have to do the I in that place. They can come and get me and I can become the we. And so I've been looking at redoing all of our teams so they understand the we because often even in team we can work in I. And um, uh, so that's what I've been looking at that. So I just think it's exciting about... I feel like God is taking the church, the whole church... So it's not going to look the same anymore. And I was thinking about too how, you know, just say for creative, because I worked in creative, how we go, you know, we need people to come out and say, say you practice nights Thursday night, but then you want to raise up the next generation, but Thursday night's when they're all working. And so it almost disqualifies them because they can't be there at the practice. And, and God's been speaking to me about that too, that people can have capacity and availability, but sometimes things change in their life and their availability isn't as, as what it was before, but the capacity is still there. And we isolate those people and say, well, they're not committed now, but actually they've got the capacity and the we that we need still to strengthen the house. So God's been speaking to me about that, how we can move things around because their heart's not away, their, but their physical location might have changed. And so I'm thinking about, you know, sometimes we might be singers short on a Sunday, but we haven't used the ones that can sing and have the capacity and the voice because, well, they weren't there Wednesday night or Thursday night. So I'm saying, well, that's not right. They're part of the we that can strengthen our house. So now I'll be saying to the creative team leader, if we, you know, go and get that person. She's got an amazing voice, but she's got a top tiny tot at the moment and so she can't come every Wednesday her capacity is still the same but her availability has changed so but we look at availability as non-committed and it's wrong they're still committed to the house they just can't commit to what they might have done before so I'm re-looking at all of that now so I hope that just even saying little things like that can prod you to think in a different direction maybe think bigger think broader but look at the we and look at what you know that you're really good at and where you're not great, even though you might be able to do it, find the one who is amazing at that and make them become the we. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, Yvonne. Fantastic. Well, it is a joy to be here tonight and I love speaking to leaders because leaders are learners and we're all learning while growing. Not one of us have arrived. We're all on the journey together. And uh, so I really do appreciate opportunity to share with you tonight, but what I want to bring to you tonight is um, one of my favorite, in fact, I, everyone has a theme, everyone has a core message in life, and, and my core message is actually destiny. That's, that's who I am. Destiny, purpose, faith, vision, always, everything I ever do comes back to that. And uh, so I want to talk to you tonight about the timeline of destiny, and I want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, if you can read my writing, that'll be great. I'm, do, I'm doing good. Timeline of destiny. And what I want to look at tonight, I'll just follow that through in a moment. I want to just base this on my favorite scripture. Romans 8, 28. All, all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And so right there, the Bible tells us that there is a purpose, a destiny for you and I, and it says that everything in our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, in God's economy, it's all working for good. And so what I want to bring to you tonight, I want to bring the big picture of your life. And so another title tonight could be, This Is Your Life. Because as I go through this, you're going to see yourself 
more clearly of where you are in your timeline of destiny. And uh, we're going to look at the, the past. We're going to look at where you've come from, where you're at right now, but also hopefully what God has for you in the future. And so I want to bring the, the big picture of your life so you're going to understand more about yourself and where you're at in your leadership growth and development pathway right now. You'll learn more about the people that you're leading, that, uh, you know, that you're responsible for and to. And uh, you'll learn a bit about me. I want to share my journey and we'll learn about God and the way he works because what I want to bring to you tonight, there's actually a study done um, on 500 biblical and contemporary church leaders and they discovered an interesting fact that each one of us goes through six phases of development and growth in our timeline of destiny, in our growth. So tonight I want to uh, divide that up. Uh, one, two, three... Four, five, six. There we go. So, six phases of growth in the timeline of destiny. And so, this is common to each one of us. And you will identify tonight very clearly where you've come from, where you're at now, and what God has for you for the future. So, six phases of growth. The very first one is called Sovereign Foundations. Sovereign Foundations. And the scripture I want to share with you, because each one of these has a scripture, Psalm 139, verse 16, David writes, Your eyes saw my substance when being yet unformed, and in your book they were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And so, clearly God says, before we're even in our mother's womb, that God fashioned the days for us. And so there is a sovereign foundation. God has a dream. I'm actually doing a series at the moment called Wake Up and Dream. And uh, God has a sovereign dream for our life. And I love, I love talking about dreams because I, I, I call them SMS dreams. A lot of people have uh, survival dreams for their life. They're just trying to get through another day and pay another bill, another week, and survival dreams. A lot of people are looking for maintenance dreams. And the maintenance dreams is just a life of comfort, of ease, of leisure, of pleasure, of paying off their mortgage early, retirement, and just a nice car, and maintenance dreams. But God doesn't have either one of those dreams. God actually has significant dreams, and dreams of significance. And I love also in Psalm 39, it talks about how God, uh, it says that, um, that God thinks about us. He says, as, as more than the grains of sand on the sea, that that more numerous are the thoughts that God has towards us. So the Bible tells us that actually God thinks about us before we even created. And he has so, God is continually thinking, dreaming. God has dreams of significance for our lives. All comes back to sovereign foundations. And so I'm doing a series, as I said, Wake Up and Dream. I want people to wake up to God's dream for their life. And as we begin to get God's thoughts, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways, but there is a sovereign foundation that God has actually dreamed about your life, my life, before we're ever created. And I think the greatest pleasure in life is actually connecting with that dream and living it and living the dream God has. And so there's a sovereign foundation. Now, each one of these timelines or these phases, there is a significant event that brings us into one and then takes us into the second. And, of course, sovereign foundation is when you connected with salvation. That's when you came into encounter with Jesus, when you were born again. And, uh, and so with me, you can do your own timeline, but with me, Ancient of Days, 1975, is when I, I was 19 years of age and uh, I was just a rebel without a cause. I was, you know, like uh, riding motorcycles, you know, I was into the, the drug, the alcohol scene and I had the earring and the leather jacket and the knives and the chains and long hair and I used to scare myself when I looked in the mirror. I mean, I was just mean. And, and, uh, but in the midst of that, you know, I was doing what I liked but I didn't like what I was doing and I went from bad to worse and got myself in a lot of trouble. And I remember I actually had to, I was brought up in the Barossa Valley, beautiful wine growing area in South Australia, had to leave town overnight. I just kind of had to just get out of town, literally. And uh, people were after me. And I threw my job. And I went and lived in the city. And uh, I, I was so desperate, 19 years of age. And I went to a discotheque. 
That's right. And uh, there was this blonde bombshell. Uh, and I had my first word of knowledge. I wasn't even a Christian. I said to my mate, see that girl over there? I'm going to marry her. And it was Yvonne. And so I hooked up with her and we just kind of lust at first sight. I mean, love at first sight. Both on rebounds from broken relationships, all the wrong reasons. And we got into a live-in relationship day one. And, uh, you know, just six weeks on, her sister, who was a Christian, got on Yvonne's back. He'll never marry you. He's got everything he wants. And so she came home one night and said, if you don't marry me, I'm going home. Live with mum. And I said, let's get married. Won't be any different. We were 19, really wise. And uh, so anyway, we went to the, her pastor and said, can you marry us? Tonight, you know, we've got time. Can you do it now? Do it in the movies? He said, no, it doesn't work that way. It takes a month. Okay, so that was so kind. He said, I'll marry you on one condition that when you come back from your honeymoon, you will uh, come to one church service. And the church was so nice. Fair enough. So we went away in our honeymoon. And I always say that, you know, love is blind, but marriage is the eye opener. Boy, were our eyes opened, I'm telling you. We kind of thought, what have we done? Our honey- we had the honeymoon from hell. I mean, it's just like, eyes were open and we'd realise it was on. It was just like World War Three. We'd actually, at that stage, known one another, I think it was six weeks we made that decision to get married. And it was about eight weeks, nine weeks we were married. And uh, we just... So, two weeks into our... Two weeks into our... Uh, Honeymoon to in a marriage. I didn't know if we'd see the third week. It was it was like over before it began. It was bad, really bad. And uh, so I don't want to get stuck here. But anyway, we went we went to uh, we we remember the, the the commitment we made to the preacher. So we went Sunday night to this this church service, Pentecostal church in Adelaide, and they were all just hands in the you know it was just like crazy stuff. And my mind rejected it, but my heart. I said, I want, I need what these people have got. Because I've been looking for all that reality, that love, all in the wrong places, can only be found in the Lord. So that night, both Yvonne and myself, we gave our hearts to Jesus. And we had an encounter with our sovereign foundation. We got born again, and God just put a dream, a hope, a plan, a promise, and it's just like everything new. We had that encounter with our sovereign foundation. And so you can actually, we've all got our own story, our own testimony. And, you know, with me... I was running from God. My parents were Christians, and the more they prayed, the worse I got. But I was so aware of the conviction of God. And, you know, even if your kids are wayward, you know, can I just say, you just keep praying. You know, everyone, you know, God says he desires all men to be saved. Come to the knowledge of the truth. Every person, God's got a sovereign foundation. And prayer, intercession, believing God is a thing that connects people. And I can guarantee in your life there was someone praying for you. And I know there was with me. And that's why, you know, don't ever take lightly just, you know, your faith, your obedience and building a building and having influence and just believing God because you're actually, you're bringing people into a sovereign foundation with their timeline of destiny. There's thousands of people, 300,000 people in our community that God wants to reach with a sovereign foundation. He's got the foundation and we're here a part of connecting people with that. And uh, so I just want to encourage you, you know, you're never too young, you're never too old to connect with the Sovereign Foundation. It's there for us. And uh, so each one of us, we've got that, our story. But the second phase after the Sovereign Foundation is called inner life growth. Inner life growth. There it is. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. And that's where you develop an appetite, a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. It's just like, you know, the Jewish midwives, when babies were born, if they were unable to to suck from the mother's breast, they would actually get olive oil, put it in the cleft of their mouth, and they'd begin to suck. And it's like the anointing of the Holy Spirit, when God touches you, he he puts a desire for you to grow in hunger and appetite. Now, I think one of the the things, and I'm all for follow-up and looking after you know, people encouraging them to grow in the Lord. But when someone has a genuine encounter with the Sovereign Foundation, you know, I say, you don't follow them up. They follow you up. There's a hunger. There's a hunger. They, they just can't get enough of God. They want to read their Bible. They want to pray. They'll, every time there's a prayer meeting, there's a leadership meeting, the church doors are open, they're there because there's a legitimate 
hunger for God. And that's an evidence that you've actually had a collision with. You know, I think some people have had spiritual awakenings, but not necessarily born again. They're kind of having a, a concept. But when you have that sovereign foundation, it says, man, I want to get a hold of this. That's why you're here tonight, because there is inner life growth. And with me, I think from probably 1976 to 1978, there was like a, a two-year, I mean, I'm still hungry for God, but there was just like an intensive season in my life that, you know, I just was so consumed and passionate about my growth, my development, prayer, fasting, seeking God, and that great hunger for God. And, and so what happens in that hunger for God, there's some interesting things begin to happen in your life. First thing, God will bring mentoring relationships into your life. You know, out of that hunger for God, God will connect you with people that will actually take you and advance you in your destiny. And I remember that, out of, you know, the, the church doors would be, I'd be there. And I remember if ever the pastors were around and they were chatting, I'd always sort of sneak up and eavesdrop on their conversation. I wanted to hear what they're talking about. I, I just wanted to connect, you know. And uh, but there was, but God brought in my life, even at that time, relationships that even today that uh, are a part of my journey. And it's amazing how God connects you with the right people. I just came up uh, from Adelaide uh, this afternoon and I spent just 24 hours with Pastor Danny Guglamucci, who was a great friend that I actually met way back in that season of my life. And uh, it's amazing how God connects you with people who actually take on a mentoring role or people with similar heart passions, visions, a little bit further down the, the, the road than you, that they'll inspire and lift you to the next level. And so out of inner life growth, get ready because God will connect you with people that will help advance you in the timeline that God has for you. Another thing that happens is travel opportunities. You know, God wants us to be exposed to a bigger world. And, uh, and I just think, I love coming to speak here because we all learn. We need one another. But I remember in that season of life, I was just so hungry for God and I, I, was, I had a business, small building business in the Barossa Valley and a church started in a home, I'll talk about that later, but, but I heard about this church growth tour that was actually going to Korea, South Korea, and Dr. Cho, who's had the largest church in the world, back then it was just like just a pioneer work, he had 60,000 people in his church. But even then, it was the largest church. And there's a guy called, and I don't know any of you called of Pastor, uh, no, Pastor David Cartledge. He's a, a great hero of faith in the nation, gone home with the Lord now. But I saw this advertised, and, uh, and the Spirit of the Lord said to me, you need to go. And it was just like the Word of God. You, know, you need to go. It was geared for, pa- I wasn't a pastor. It was geared for, and at that stage, this was a watershed experience for the churches in Australia because a big church back then was 300 people. There was no concept of church growth and vision, dreams. And, they was, and anyway, they, we spent a week with Dr. Cho, literally sitting at his feet. And he just spoke, taught on vision, dream, faith, fourth dimension, all this amazing stuff. Changed my life. And a trip to, Korea, uh, to Israel after that as well, which again, it was just a life-changing event. But with that, that travel opportunity, and to me, who was I to go? But I just sent an application form and I accepted it. And I remember I was just, I didn't have the money back then. It was $1,500, which is like 10 grand a day. But, uh, but I, remember, I went to Yvonne and I said, look, God spoke to me. He said, Yvonne, I really believe I need to be going. She says, well, you need a word from God to go. And because I said, uh, she said, oh, when are we going? I said, actually, I really felt God say, Ian, you need to go. You know, she said, all right, well, you need a word from God. So I, I went, and I'm hungry, I'm learning. I'm, so I went to God, and I, pray, and I said, God, I said, I really believe you've spoken to me, you want me to go, but Lord, I just pray that you'll give me a word. And being a relatively new believer, I just flipped open the Bible. And uh, I went straight to, I think, in Romans 16, where Paul said, I'm now going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. We were going to Jerusalem. And it just jumped out, and I thought, this is awesome. So I went, Yvonne, God's given me a word. Going to Jerusalem. She says, Ian, you need three words. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I went back and I, pray, I said, God, I said, I know you want me to go, but it's my wife. She's not convinced. I need a word. I need another word. So I went, opened my Bible again. This time it fell open to Mark 4. And it said, it's an evil and an adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And a sign will not be given. And I... I felt like a rebuke from the Lord, let me tell you. It's like, I told you once, that's enough. And so I went out and said, you got me in trouble with, with the Lord. You know, she said, so she said, I think you better go. But, uh, 
And it was. It was. And, but God miraculously provided, and I haven't got time to go into the whole story, but I ended up going, and it actually changed my life. It actually put areas of faith and of God's calling in my life, and it came out of inner life growth, travel opportunities. And it's important, you know, missions trips, church growth tours, opportunities. You know, we need to, you know, it's like the Texas rooster that, uh, that went to Africa and discovered the ostrich egg. And it, was, and it was just blown away by the size of this ostrich egg. So it took it back to the, the hen house, all the way back to Texas, and lined up all the hens and said, listen, ladies, I don't mean to complain, but I just want to show you what they're doing in other places. And, brought out this big one. And, uh, and that's why I love being around bigger people. I love being with Pastor Danny the last 24 hours. You know, they've got five or 6,000 people in Adelaide and they're just doing amazing things. Cross that said, I love it because it causes me to think and to dream and to inspire me. And we need to be around bigger people. And don't ever let insecurity hold you back. Who am I? No, no. Position yourself where you'll get inspired. It's like the shark. You put him in a goldfish bowl and he'll grow to nine inches, but you put him in the ocean, you'll grow to nine feet. And it's like we are products of our environment. And so be around big people, big spirited people, big heart, and it'll grow you, it'll fill you with the potential that God. But the third thing that happens here is desire for greater things. You know, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And it works two ways. I mean, we can say, yeah, God does want to give me the desires, things that are important to me. And that's, that's a legitimate part of the truth. But the other side, it says, as you delight in the Lord, he gives you the desires. He begins to shape desires. He begins, it's like you're a, a blank canvas and you'll begin to get desires for greater things. And that's from inner life growth, travel opportunities, mentoring relationships. And I remember in that season, God really put in my heart to go back to the Brosser Valley because there was no Pentecostal church, no spiritual church. It was just dead religion. I was brought up in a Lutheran church and, and appreciate all that, but there was no reality in it. When I became a teenager, I just did what teenagers do. And there was no models of healthy, vibrant, born-again, spirit-filled, happy Christians. And so I wanted to see my friends saved. So we went back and we got to this little farmhouse five miles from nowhere and a place called Gummersoul. It's out the back of the Bronson Valley. And the, the pastor who led us to the Lord married us led us to the Lord. We said, will you come up and do house meetings for us? He said, you get three families together, I'll come. Well, the first night we had 15 people roll up. Next night, 20. People getting saved. And God just broke out. And uh, within three months, we were having 60 people in our little kitchen. We put all the furniture out in this little old German cottage. And, and it became this, the, the, the Brosser church that's still going today, started in their home. And, but it actually came out of desire. You know, God changed. And... and so the church, and so we see a lot of my old former friends got saved, and today there's a great church still there, flourishing in the Brosser Valley. Where did that come from? came from a God-given desire that God birthed in my heart that came out of inner life growth. And so those are just some of the exciting things that come in this season. But then the next season is called ministry maturity. Ministry maturity. And for me, 1978 to 1982, probably around that next four years in my journey, I began to discover the gifts and the grace that God had placed on my life. In Romans 12, verse 6, it says, having gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And so there is gifts, as Yvonne spoke earlier, we all have unique strengths, gifts, callings, and it's, it's about the we, not the me. It's about, you know, being released in your strength, your gift, and not wanting to have someone else's, but discovering what it is. And, and so in that period of time, a church grew out of our home. I had a business that was growing, a successful building business, and, and we just simply wanted to be a blessing to people. So church started in their home and we did whatever was necessary. You know, we would go and pick people up. We would set out chairs. We would, you know, look after a new Christian. We would, you know, wash the pastor's car. We got a pastor in, whatever it took. And so we began to see leadership gifts develop. We started to see teaching gifts, preaching gifts began to emerge in our life. A lot of people say, how do I discover my gift? Do I wait for the prophet to come in and say, yea, verily, I see this over your life? Or do I wait for Pastor Phil to come along and say, oh, I see this gift in your life? None of those things. You know where you, you see gifts 
emerge in your life, it comes simply out of number, the, the first thing is commitment to serve others. To serve others. Having a heart to serve, a heart to bless. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And a servant's heart simply does whatever is necessary at the time for the benefit of others. And that's where, you know, as I said, we were happy to pick up people, we rented auditoriums, clean it out after the dance parties the night before, or, you know, and it was just, just simply heart to serve, but out of that servant's heart we began to see the grace of God develop in our life. And so we've done just about anything and everything you can possibly imagine, but we began to see the grace of God. And the other thing is a commitment to the local church. You know, one of the things that really kind of gets up my nose as a pastor is a lot of people think that the will of God and the call of God is out there somewhere. You know, they'll run off to a parachurch ministry or it's in Africa, it's here, it's there, it's, you know. Or, you know but, you know, I, I've discovered that actually commitment to the local church is a place that God's going to, you're going to discover, develop and be released in your God-given calling, your purpose. You know, Psalm 92, verse 18 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And, you know, one of the things that, quite honestly, that uh, being 15 years now almost in Central Coast, is the transient population of Christians. You know, researchers say that there's a 30% turnover in Pentecostal churches every year, right? 30% of people go, another 30% come in. Yeah. Interesting. And I think, absolutely, I think some years I've seen 50%. So, uh, so, but, uh, but I've never seen anything like it. And actually Jesus, uh, Peter said, you know, that we are living stones, you know, being built into a spiritual house. But I think a lot of people interpret that we are rolling stones being built in, you know, and a rolling stone will roll into this church and, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I roll out to this church. You know? And, uh, you, know, the theme, you know, the band rolling stones, you know, their theme song, don't you, you know? I can't get no satisfaction. That, is, that depicts a lot of believers. They just have a life of restlessness because they've never planted themselves and have a commitment, you know, to serve commitment. And I always say there's a big difference about conviction and preference. And there are so many believers who live their life on preference, they'll actually never... See, the thing with the timeline, you can press the pause button anytime you like. And if you live by preference... Instead of conviction. You know, the difference between preference and convictions is this. A person lives by preference can be negotiated out of that preference. But a person lives by conviction, it's non-negotiable. Oh, there's a new church, new opportunity. I think I prefer to be over here. Actually, no, no. A person lives by conviction, it's non-negotiable. This is what God's called me. God's planted me. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 18 says, he sets the members, 112 verse 18, he sets the members in the body as he desires. We are set. You know, I had a conviction 15 years ago that God called me to the Central Coast. I didn't come out of preference. I came out of a sense of conviction. The other thing, let me just say before I move on, is that people who live by preference can be negotiated out of that preference, but people who live by conviction, it is non-negotiable. People who live by preference grow weaker under pressure, but people who live by conviction grow stronger under pressure. And 15 years ago, God sovereignly called us here to the Central Coast, and I've never doubted the conviction that God's called us. And that's why you stand. And it's not just the pastor, it has to be each and every one of us, that God has called us to serve this house, this church. And yes, there may be other directions in your timeline of destiny, but it'll always be recognized by your leaders and you'll be released with blessing, you know? See, there's two kinds of... There's sent ones and went ones. And there's too many went ones in the body of Christ. You look in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, Antioch Church, it says that they laid hands on them and sent them on their journey. They didn't just go, they were released. And we should never just think that we're, you know, above our leaders or above, you know. See, the whole way that God... And I'll talk about the next phase in a moment, but this whole ministry maturity thing actually is developed in the house of God, in the local church. And I just see so many immature believers, they've never advanced, well, they're kind of hanging around this area because they've not actually gone on to ministry maturity for what God has actually got for their life. And so there'll be, as I said, significant events will take you from one season to the next. 
The next one is life maturity. Life maturity. And in 1982, right through to 1997, there was a season, and this is, this is, about, this is about character here. Okay, this is character development, but this is about gift development. And, uh, you know, character, you know, Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 19, I labour in birth again till Christ is formed in you. Life maturity. And your gift, can I say, your, there's a difference between gift and character. Your gift will get you there, but your character will keep you there. And in the Pentecostal churches, traditionally, we, we celebrate a gift. But how many people have had great giftings no longer on the scene because this season of character maturity, they haven't passed the test. Character maturity. With me, 1982 to 1997 was a defining moment of a next season of our life because we're actually asked, I took on the role back in this season uh, as associate pastor, and I was a businessman, associate pastor, Brosser Valley Church, but in this role, I was asked by Pastor Andrew Evans to go to a place called Gawler, which is only half an hour down the road, and establish a plant a church, Pioneer Church, because we were getting people coming up, part of, you know, our Barossa Church. So we went down there, and it's, and it's, again, it's about, I believe that the will of God chases you. None of God's doors have the word push on it. And there are so many people that are ambitious, pushing doors open, fighting their way to the, that's not how God works. Because God wants to develop character. And can I say that being a senior pastor is a great opportunity to get your character developed. Amen. And uh, so we, we took on this church with, uh, we, we started with about 12 people. We saw it over the next 15 years, grow to about 700 people. And we went into land developments. We actually bought land without money and God did all kinds of financial miracles. We put subdivisions and roads and built multi-million dollar facilities. And, and you know, we, we had a, a wonderful time of, of blessing. But, but in that season, can I say your character development, there'll be at least there's three main tests that you have to pass before you go to the next one. And this is from the life of Joseph, who's one of my heroes. The very first one is the betrayal test. In you know, Genesis 37, his brothers betrayed him because they saw the favour, the grace that was on his life, the dreams and the vision, the destiny he had. And because of insecurity and jealousy in them, they betrayed him. They sold him as a slave. And can I say with, with Joseph, he never allowed bitterness to touch his spirit. Because years later, when his dream was fulfilled, remember he turned to his brothers and what you meant for harm, God meant for good. There was no bitterness in his spirit. Because if there was bitterness in his spirit, he would have never gone into the next season, which we'll talk about in a moment. So that whole betrayal test, and there will, and can I say it will be the people closest to you? Can I say that every great leader, every great man or woman of God, they've all got betrayal stories. Jesus, God, Lucifer, third of the angels, we're out of here. We know better than God. Betrayal, people the closest. Doesn't matter who you are. And it's a part of the journey. People will betray you. How do you handle that? You see, bitterness. Betrayal is what people do to us, but bitterness is what we do to ourselves. Someone put it this way, bitterness is the poison that we drink, hoping that it kills the other person. And how many people have you seen in their timeline of destiny got a bitter spirit? Hit the pause button, dropped out of the race, never moved on. See, we're in leadership tonight, and this is all a part of the journey. There'll be betrayal tests. Let me tell you, I could spend the night telling you about some of the, the doozies we've had. False accusation test is another one. And in Genesis 39, verse 17, Joseph went to Potiphar's house. She falsely accused him of wanting to seduce him. And, of course, he ran out, left his coat. You know the story. Nothing will test your character more than being falsely accused. Reputation is what other people think you are, but integrity is what you think of you. And the Bible says that God is the justifier, and when you suffer and do what is right and patiently endure it, it says you find favour with God. And can I say, the, the false accusation test, I've, I've had some good ones. I've had some beauties. In fact, I just had one about four years ago. You may have seen it on Current Affair. I've seen that face somewhere else before current affair. 
And, you know, you've heard the story. You know, you've heard it said. You know, in for, you're in for a bad day when the current affair rocks up at your doorstep. We've been there, done that. And, um, you know, I mean, just share. This is just one. I mean, um, there was a lady in our church that um, she's lovely. She was dying of cancer, and our church family looked after her and nursed her and cared for her, loved on her and her family. They were tri- adult drug addicts, and they wanted nothing to do with their mother. She passed away, and um, I did the funeral, and that was cool. But then three years later, her siblings, they came, made an appointment to see me. Pastor, we want to see you. Oh, nice. Uh, Pastor, mum, uh, her, her will has been finalised. This is three years after, and, and uh, you've been named as a beneficiary of the will. The church, Coast Life Church has. I said, oh, that's nice. Oh, we don't think it's nice. I said, oh, why not? Well, because the will has been tampered with. And what's more, we believe you tampered with the will. And I said, is that right? And I said, I didn't even know there was a will. <laughs> oh, no. They said, no, no. What were you doing? This is the accusation. What were you doing next to her bed when she was on her deathbed and her will was on the sideboard next to it? What were you doing there with that will? And I said, well, I never even visited your mother. <laughs> All I ever said was lie to her in church a few times. That was it. <laughs> no, no. Well, they wouldn't accept that. No, you, Pastor, you've... So I just... So I rang the executor of the well, and he said, look, these kids have just been... She left us $100,000, you know, as a church. And, uh, and, and, and it was the sale of her property, you know, as her estate was settled three years later, it'd be disp- you know, dispersed. And uh, I rang the executor and said, look, these kids rolled up, what do we do? And he said, just ignore them. They've been troublemakers, they're just pain in the butt. The will's been finalised, just move on. So we just let it go. Well, a few days later, we've got current affair rolling in, cameras bailing people up in our corridor, our business manager, our, our receptionist, and, and flying with accusations of, you know, this fraudulent will. So I fronted up to them. I've got nothing to hide. And, and of course, um, you know, they, they barrage of questions. And it's a very interesting thing about media is that, you know, don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good story. And I, I often wondered about some of these programs and now being a, a victim of their programs, I see how they work. But, you know, the, the, the interview, he would be cameras on your face, all lit up, and he would be looking right at you. And he would say, what were you doing sitting next to her bed when she was dying? You know, and, and then I'd go to answer. And you know what he'd do? He'd turn his back on me. So you're talking to a, a back and this is all on camera, you see. This is a whole shock factor. And so every time you ask a question, you then turn away. And uh, you don't see that. You just see that. So it's all the games that they play. So they try and sit. And so all weekend, uh, right across Australia, current affair, headlines were corrupt politician, cashed up church, amen, <laughs> fraudulent will, current affair, 6.30 Monday night, all weekend. And let me say, my phone, I was getting threatening phone calls, emails, and there's not one ounce of truth in the whole thing. But there was a whole lot of other things happening in our life at that time. But, you know, they tried to implicate, because she actually worked for Chris Hatch's office. They tried to implicate him. And uh, they, you know, and all the, Chris Hatch said to me, after the dust all settled, said in 20 years of politics back then, he said, He's never seen such ridiculous story. So he actually took Channel 9 to court on defamation. Okay? They settled out of court like that because it was, just, it was just such a ludicrous thing. But having said that, that just sowed such false accusation. And, of course, the naysayers, the negatives, the critics, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that stirred up through that. But what do you do when you're falsely accused? Well, you let God justify. And, uh, and so you just become a bigger person. You don't try and defend you. You just keep on doing what's right because you'll reap what you sow. Just don't grow weary. There'll be false accusation tests and you'll be falsely accused and it uh, may not be on national television, but uh, hopefully not. But, it'll, you know, but it'll, it's a part of the journey. But then will be the, the third one is the forgotten test with Joseph. And in Genesis 40 verse 14, you know, the story of the butler and the baker, they were in prison with him and they said, you know, interpret our dreams. And, and he said, look, one condition that you remember me to Pharaoh. But the interesting thing, a few verses later, it says that, it, it says that the butler forgot him. The butler forgot him for the next two years. He was overlooked. He was forgotten. And, you know, there was other, there'll be times in leadership you feel like others get all the opportunities. You're getting overlooked. And what about me? You feel forgotten. It's a part of the journey.
do you respond? You just keep loving God, loving people, keep serving, because, you know, in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, it says that God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. You know, I was just talking with Pastor Danny Gugamucci this morning, actually, about this very thing. And one of the things that we were saying, and see, we've gone through a generation of, of growth, of, you know, going through a lot of this stuff, that there's another generation come through that they haven't experienced all the hard yards and lessons we've learned. And that's great. I mean, we want people to stand strong on our shoulders, but the thing is it can become, and this is one of the things that Pastor Danny was saying this morning, a spirit of, there's, a, there's a spirit of entitlement. You know, well, I don't want to pay the hard price. Uh, you know, I'm entitled and I, I want a full-time salary. I want the car, I want the phone, I want this and that. And there's a spirit of entitlement where there's a generation that actually hasn't learned to pay the price to go and God, the Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we have to, you know, and as you go through all this stuff, can I say there's a humbling, there's a humility, there's a dependency, there's a grace, there's a, you know, you realise God's grace. And, you, and it's not about me, it's not about ministry, it's actually about loving God, loving people. And we're going to do, just keep faithfully standing, serving, loving Jesus. And, and, but if we're proud and arrogant, look at me, and I'm, you know, I need to be the centre, I need to, and we jostle and, we, and then there's an opportunist to try and, well, there's a bit of opportunity over here and oh, God resists the proud. Interesting thing about the proud and the humble there is that they're both seeking after God. But he says he'll resist the proud, but if you've grace to the humble, keep a humble heart, humble spirit, and keep small in your own eyes and uh, there's no limits to what God will do. So that's about the character of the development because, you know, in the appointed season, the Bible says in due season you'll reap if you do not lose heart. And so I believe that God is positioning men and women, churches, ministries, business, people all over this nation that are going through this whole timeline of destiny to bring us into the next season. And this next season, this is where it gets exciting, is convergence. Season of convergence. You see, with Joseph, Joseph went from the dream to the dungeon to the deliverance. And the convergent season is a season of incredible fruitfulness for your life. John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father be glorified, that you bear much fruit. God, is actually, God has got a destiny and dream of an incredible fruitful life, service and effectiveness in the kingdom of God. God is glorified by being fruitful. But it's going through this test. You know, Esther in 4... Verse 14, you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. For example, Joseph, as I said, he was elevated from the prison to become prime minister and he was born for such a time as this. As he became prime minister over Egypt and and literally the saviour of the world, that was Joseph's convergent season. But you look back, there was a a sovereign foundation where he was, you know, had that call of God, inner life growth as he was... uh, We've got some little friends here tonight. That's good. His ministry maturity, of course, was, was the interpreting of dreams. But the life maturity, of course, was when he was going through all those testings. But the convergence is when he came from the pit to the palace, came out the other side. That was Joseph with Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. You know, it took him 52 days, what hadn't been done in 141 years. And, you know, Nehemiah said, I'm doing a good work. I'm not coming down. I'm not going to be distracted. But Nehemiah had the same journey of convergence where he did this miraculous event of rebuilding the wall. With Moses, uh, when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, you know, there was a sovereign foundation when he was put into the stream and he was taken into Pharaoh's household. Inner life growth is when he was actually tutored in the ways of Pharaoh in the, in the courts of kings. You know, his ministry maturity is when he discovered that there is a gift, that he was going to be the deliverer, but his life maturity came 40 years in the wilderness. That convergence came when he led the children of Israel into their destiny, into their plan. You know, King David, he's another one, sovereign foundations, anointed to be the, the king as 16 years of age, had an encounter. Inner life growth, what was he? He was a worshipper. He spent time hanging out with God, the presence of God. 
ministry maturity, of course, who was killing the lion and the bear and taking on Goliath and being trained up as a warrior. He discovered his gifts of God to be a valiant warrior. His life maturity is when Saul was, was pursuing him and, and uh, falsely accusing him and after his life. And how did David respond with honor and humility? He didn't defend and justify and take him out, but he had a gentleness of spirit. And But convergence came when he stepped into the role as anointed as king over Israel and, and defeated all the known enemies and brought them into such a place of prosperity, setting up the next generation to be a mighty force. Peter on the day of Pentecost, you know, sovereign foundations, of course, followed through with him, called by Jesus in a life growth as he w- was walking with Jesus, his ministry maturity. And, you know, he was, there was that boldness of faith, stepping out, walking on water, doing crazy things, life maturity, character development, talking about that when he betrays Jesus and, and he goes through a major egg on faith. But, but, you know, convergence in Peter's life is the day of Pentecost he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Convergence. You know, with Jesus, 30 years of preparation, three years of convergence, and he fulfilled what the Father called him to do. With Yvonne and myself, there was a defining moment when God, 1997, is when we relocated to the Central Coast. And God did some supernatural things as we you know, stepped into the coast. And, and before we ever, see, in our, this season of our life as we're building and growing our church, God was teaching us lessons of faith and what have you. But I went into serious prayer and fasting before we came here and God spoke to me about this church and about the Central Coast and the, the call over this house and uh, what God was calling us to do. And God put faith in my heart and I felt like David who had defeated the lion and the bear and when he stood before Goliath, he had confidence in the God in him. And when we came, we felt that we had to take on that giant. And one of those giants, of course, was you know the church back then was 17 years old, didn't have any assets, had... Uh, Debt, $70,000 debt, had $3,000 below budget every week. And we stepped from a place of honour and blessing into a place of dishonour and dysfunction. And, and people didn't even want us. Some people wouldn't even talk to us. They'd literally give us a cold shoulder. And it was a very difficult time. But we knew the call of God. But God spoke to my heart about that we'll build land. And, and a month before we moved up in uh, July of 97, we, we flew up to organise a rental home for us. And as we were driving down Terrigal Drive, there was McDonald's and there was just six and a half acres of vacant land. And the Spirit of the Lord said to me, Ian, that's the land. You're going to build on that land. And I said to Yvonne, God just spoke to me. See that land? We're going to build. That's where the church is going to be in the future. And, and so I came up and here a couple of weeks and I made some inquiry and that land was actually for sale. There's no sign on it, but it was for sale. And I met the, the owner of the land and I said, listen, give me six months and I'll buy this land. Our money's tied up. We didn't have any money. But I said, money's tied up. And we'll buy it. Six months. We'll, we'll sign a contract. We'll do whatever. That's our land. And so he agreed. Now, I hadn't even told the church. But I'd heard from God. So I'm about a month in and I start talking vision about the future. And I shared about that land. And old Tommy Newman, some of you know Tommy, he came up weeping. He said, Pastor, 1981, he said, I was on the eldership with a former pastor. And he said, we walked onto that same land in 1981 and God said, buy that land. And back then it was $125,000. It was too big a challenge. So we backed off and they just rented properties for the next year. But God kept that land and I'm negotiating on a $1.3 million piece of land now. And, uh, and, and God kept that land for 16 years and I called it Miracle Land because there's all kinds of proposals, all kinds, but God said, no, that's my land. And God's faithful to his promise. And I believe there are promises even over a church. Sovereign foundations and all these areas, even church, can be measured in this whole process. Cut a long story short, within 12 months we owned that land freehold. And within four years we built uh, was a $7 million facility on there, and, which has gone by fire right now. But that's all exciting. It's part of the journey. So, uh, so praise God. But, there was, but God... You know, all of those things I say, is it because I'm great and I'm a good leader? No, it's actually because God's good and he's faithful. And, and there was a convergent season for our life to come in and see fruitfulness in those areas. And, uh, and, and there's, there's so much more that God has yet to do. But, but that's that season where you hit your power band, you see fruitfulness and you see the supernatural, you see the blessing, the favour, the, the hand of God. But stay focused on that convergent season because it's there for all of us. 
Can I say, sadly, I, I, I think very few people actually move into their conversions because somewhere along the line, they hit the pause button. They get distracted, they get discouraged, they get disillusioned and they drop out of the race. But there is a sixth and a final season and this is a season of completion. Completion. And the scripture I want to share with that is 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7 where Paul said, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. You know what Paul said? I am ready to go home. At the end of Paul's life, he looked back over his timeline of destiny and he says, I've done everything God's called me to do. And I'm, I'm ready to go home. Completion season. Now, that completion at the end of Paul's life, that Paul, even in that time of life, he, he was still being incredibly fruitful. He was actually in prison, and, but yet he wrote a third of the epistles at that time. He had people coming who were still discipling and mentoring people. And even in the, can I say, the completion of his life, he, there was still fruitfulness. One of the great heroes and great examples of that was Pastor Frank Houston. I think most of us would know Frank. And we had the privilege of him being a part of our church family for the last four years of his life. And although there was dementia and things in his life that kind of, he went through, but there was still a great sense of that the gifts and the grace that was still in his life was still you know, encouraging, building, and, and he was still a great blessing. And that's where I think even in our age, we need to value older, those who have actually gone before us, we need to honour them, love on them because there's actually so much that they want to enrich and they can pour back into our life. And I think out of anything from this generation, we need to be honouring those who have gone before us and, uh, and you know, giving. You see, this is the season that we actually make sure that we raise up successors. I always say you can't have success without a successor. And it's passing on the baton. It's, it's raising up the next generations. It's, you know, finishing well, finishing strong. And, you know, Jesus, at the end of his life, he said, it is finished. He completed. Paul said, it is finished. You know, when we, the words that I'm looking forward to when I see Jesus face to face, I want him to say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithful to the timeline of destiny. I want to be well done. A lot of people are done very well but you know we need to be well i want to do well i want to be hear those words be faithful to our god i want to finish strong and again sadly there are very few believers that have finished strong out there and but this is the time on this there's wonderful examples so tonight this whole teaching is about to identify where you've come from so i want you to kind of think about where you are in your timeline where, where you're at right now, but understand what's ahead of you. Understand what it's going to take. There is a price, but can I say that ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And, uh, you know, there is, it, it's, it's a privilege to be able to serve, sacrifice, do whatever it takes to complete that timeline of destiny that God has for each and every one of us. So tonight I just want to say, well done, C3 Church. You're on an exciting journey, and I do love and value your leaders, and, and I've just seen them go through the highs and the lows, but you know what? Keep turning up, keep in faith, keep their focus, and you know, that whole thing, that season of convergence will happen, and, uh, and you're on an exciting journey. So just want to encourage you and your leadership, the journey, the path. We're all in this together. None of us have arrived. We're all learning, all growing, but we just need that support and encouragement to keep on going. I love the final scripture I want to give you. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul said, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus, and he is going to complete the good work as we just keep our heart right, attitudes right, our focus right. God will complete the work that he's called us to do and give him glory. Amen?